Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole Nussbaumer Nafflick. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hi, this is Cole. Thanks for tuning in. So I'm going to ask you to imagine. You've just finished an amazing analysis or wrapped up a super important project. Now it's time for you to share all that hard work. But how can you get others to care about it as much as you do? One way, and you may find this surprising, is simply how you talk about it. This is an area that I am hugely interested in. Why is it that we want to listen to some people, but others not so much? What can we learn from that? Bringing this back to our data, how can we talk about data, present data in ways that make people want to listen? That is what we're going to explore today. The following is an excerpt from a recent Storytelling with Data community live event on presenting data. I hope you enjoy. You know, it's funny because I think sometimes people don't practice when they're presenting because they just chalk it up to when they see someone do it well, they think, oh, that person's just naturally a good public speaker. They're, they're comfortable in front of others. I actually think that's probably very rarely the case. It's certainly not the case for me. It's through careful preparation and practice that things start to look easy and smooth. And I am an absolute believer that everyone can develop this skill and that we all can become increasingly more nuanced in the role we play when we're presenting our data. Let's take a look next at some specific strategies and tactics that you can take to prepare yourself to talk through data. My number one tip as you prepare for speaking in any scenario, right? Whether up on a stage or at a table with your colleagues or one-on-one, -on -one, if it's important, take some time to practice out loud. I think the most important thing that we pay attention to when we practice out loud that we don't necessarily give thought to in other settings is the transitions, right? Our transitions between slides or between graphs, between topics. When we sit at our desk and we flip through our slide deck, easy to get it straight on what we want to say on each slide, but it's also very easy to skip thinking about how we get from one to the next. Whereas when you practice out loud, you're forced to do that. You're forced to find the words that help you get from one idea to the next, that help you connect those for your audience. And smooth transitions alone, I think, are something that can help take a presentation or a communication from feeling really disjointed to feeling very smooth and polished. When it comes to practicing out loud, there are a couple different ways that I recommend doing so. One of those is with your slides and emulating as much as you can the eventual environment that you'll be presenting in. Right? So if this is a conference, you're going to be up on stage, Stand up, have your clicker in your hand, move about the space, 
think down to the details of what are you going to be wearing? Will you have glasses on or jewelry? What sort of shoes will you wear? And the more you can do to make your practicing feel like the real thing, the less intimidating it's going to be when you get to the real thing. There's a sort of muscle memory that happens where even though the stage will look a little different, right, or it might be a different table that you're sitting around with your colleagues than where you've set up to practice, parts of it will be familiar. And that helps things be smoother in subsequent time. So when you're actually delivering. Right? So when you're practicing out loud with your slides, think about how you might emulate the environment to help get you more comfortable when you're there, particularly if you're prone to nervousness, this can help get over that. I'm also a big advocate of practicing out loud without your slides. And I do this a ton. And one of the benefits of this is you can do it anywhere. Um, so I'll be driving in the car, practicing to myself out loud, or I'm doing less driving these days. So I find I'll take long walks around my neighborhood where I'm talking to myself out loud. People probably think I'm a little nuts, but when I'm doing that, I am practicing my content out loud. I think this is a couple of things. One, it helps us with those transitions like I talked about before, but also without my slides in front of me, I am forced to anticipate and remember what comes next. And the more times I do that, the more those pathways get burned into my head, which means I'm going to know them by the time I get to my presentation, to my communication. And when I know what's coming next, I can be really smooth in how I lead what I'm talking to into what's going to come in the next slide. And while I do this, um, right, I'm forming those transitions. I'm thinking about what's coming next. There's a lot happening in my brain uh, that's going to make it easier if there are any nerves when I get to the final thing so that I still sound cool and composed and thoughtful in the way that I'm presenting. And now I'm not an advocate of memorizing. I think when we memorize, it's too risky, right? Because if we forget that word that we wanted to say, it can throw everything off. Uh, but I am a fan of committing things to memory. And one of those things that can be useful to commit to memory is the progression of how you're going to go through your material in terms of what topic follows where you're going next. And on that idea of memorizing, while I still maybe don't advocate memorizing, I am a big believer in planning the way you're going to start and the way you're going to end. And if you step back and think about it, these, these are important points, right? Because the way you start is the first impression you're going to make on your audience. It's in those first few moments, those first few seconds, really, that people decide whether they're going to continue to pay attention to you or turn that attention onto something else. So you want to make the first few minutes especially count, uh, intrigue your audience's interest, both through your topic as well as how you're talking about your topic. We'll talk about that more momentarily. And then the end, this is the final impression, the lasting impression, right? So we want that to be positive. Now, when it comes to getting more specific, so crafting the beginning, I'll plan out the beginning, not necessarily writing it down. Sometimes I write it down, but mostly in my head, anytime I'm going to be talking through something new. Uh, so a recent concrete example, last week I did a live podcast. 
where we're recording live, or recording, we're streaming live. There's a person sitting with me whom I'm interviewing. And so I don't want to be reading. Uh, I want to know how I'm going to start. And so I knew what I was going to say at the beginning, right? That's an easy one. I introduced who I am. And I knew from there, I wanted to give some context about my guest, uh, talk about why it's interesting that we were talking. Then I was going to move from that into the story of how I got to know them, some anecdotes to pique people's interest, and that I'd move from there into the first question. And so I knew those were the topics I wanted to hit. I knew I wanted to go through them in that order. But when I was practicing out loud and literally walking around my neighborhood, the way I did it each time was a little different. And that is useful because that means we're finding different ways to get from point A to point B to point C, which gives us a lot of flexibility then when we get to the final uh, presentation uh, so that we've got different pathways to be able to follow. And the one benefit of doing that out loud, going back on that topic, is sometimes I find myself talking down a path that I realized I didn't want to be talking down. And so when you're practicing, it's easy to just rein that back in and start back at another point and talk down a different path versus doing that meandering thing when you're really presenting. So knowing the points you're going to tackle at the beginning, this also can be helpful. I mentioned this before, but for anybody who's prone to a little nervousness when you start talking in front of others, knowing how you're going to start can help you get through those first few minutes eloquently. And then by the time you get through that, hopefully your nerves have calmed down and now you can think better on your feet again. When it comes to the ending, I, so I'm typically doing things like this or teaching workshops. And so I like to build a crescendo up to the end. May not always be appropriate. You want to consider your scenario and what's going to make the most sense and use the ending to recap what I've gone through and to send people off with something inspiring. I also just make it clear that this is the end, right? There's no question when I pause whether I'm going to go on to something else or what should happen at that point. So just being thoughtful about planning the end, leaving people with something salient and positive so that you form a positive lasting impression. Something else you can do as you prepare to present, and people cringe at this one, I, I cringe at this one, is record yourself. This is one of the most uncomfortable yet most potentially powerful ways of getting smooth and just looking like you know what you're doing when you're in front of people. And so I'm a big fan of recording with both audio and visual. Even just audio is good, but if you're already recording audio, you might as well do visual as well. And seeing yourself present is a really eye-opening experience because it can alert us to things we may be subconsciously doing that we honestly have no idea about. Uh, and it allows us to see that and curb it, I think, in ways that are easier than if somebody had given us that feedback. So for example, uh, when I worked at Google and was getting ready to start delivering trainings on data visualization, I had the opportunity to take part in a program of training the trainer. So we learned about things like nuances of adult learning styles. And as part of this course, we recorded ourselves. 
And we did it, it was just a five minute session, uh, a single slide that we knew well. So we were focused less on what we were saying and more on how we were delivering the content. And I recorded myself and I thought, oh yeah, I probably did a great job with that. And the thing that struck me the most, uh, I was doing this really awkward, I was wearing heels and I was doing this really awkward, I don't know, like shifting on my feet. And I think if someone had given me the feedback, says you're shifting on your feet, it's sort of distracting. I, it would have been easy to say, yeah, I don't think I'm actually doing that. But seeing myself do it, I realized a couple of things. I realized first off, that is hugely distracting. I need to stop immediately. And I also realized embarrassingly that I had probably been doing that every time I was in front of an audience up until that point. Uh, so it's very easy once I was aware of this bad habit to nip it in the bud. So watch yourself, right? You'll see things that you're doing that you'll want to adjust. Also, listen to yourself. This is an important thing that I think we don't give enough credit to. There is immense power in how we use our voice when we're presenting data. And you can think of that in a couple of ways, right? If you think of texture of voice, there's cadence, right? How fast or slow are we speaking? There's volume, right? At times it might make sense to get loud to make a point. At other times I can get really soft. And if anybody is tuned out, they're going to tune back in because what I have to say next might be really important, right? I can speed up to show that I'm really excited about something or I can slow down and let a point sink. Right? So we can use pauses really effectively as well. And when you listen back to yourself, which again is always uncomfortable because we sound different in recordings than we do to ourselves in our head, but you can listen to these things. Right? Do you sound like someone you want to pay attention to? We'll talk more about that momentarily. But think about how you can use yourself, your body, your voice when you're presenting as well. When we record ourselves, we're giving feedback to ourselves. Uh, we can also give feedback to each other that way. And actually, so Mike and Alex on the team, Elizabeth had joined sooner, so her onboarding process was different. But when Mike and Alex joined, their sole goal or their number one priority was to get comfortable and confident delivering the half-day workshop. So they had a steep onboarding plan or an aggressive onboarding plan where each week they were meant to learn a lesson. So they were studying it, reading it, practicing it. And at the end of the week, they would record themselves. And I think probably they recorded themselves several times, right? Because they'd listen back and then change things. And then they'd send that recording to me. So then I was able to see it and offer feedback as well. Because that's another really important part of the process of getting practiced and prepared to deliver content is getting feedback. And so here you want to consider a couple of things. You want to consider who you're getting feedback from and what sort of feedback you want to get and, and preface, warn folks about that. So when it comes to who you're getting feedback from, there are a couple of different spectrums, right? Do you want people who are supporters, right? Your super fan or someone who's a critic? Or do you want someone who is very familiar, maybe an expert in what you're going to be talking about? Or do you want somebody at a distance who doesn't have an understanding or isn't as familiar? And there are benefits to each of these profiles. Right? If we think of our supporter, our super fan, if you're short on time, you're lacking confidence and you want to get a bit of a boost, go to a super fan, get some feedback from them. You can get that boost in confidence as well as maybe some tips for fine tuning. 
If you have more time, and depending on the scenario, you may want to ask for feedback from a critic. And this could be someone who's critical of you. It could be someone who you anticipate may be resistant to the message that you want to get across. And there's a couple benefits to that. Right? One, by inviting feedback from somebody who may not be on board into the process, you get to understand someone else's point of view, which will help you be more adept at addressing that if it does come up when you're presenting for real. Also, the fact that you're inviting a critic in and asking for feedback, which is a vulnerable thing to do, if they comply and they give you feedback, and especially when you incorporate that feedback, it starts to shift them over into that supporter fan sort of category. So if they're at the meeting where you're presenting or in that presentation, now they're going to be rooting for you in a way that they weren't before you solicited that feedback. So you need some benefits to think about there. When it comes to expert versus non-familiar, uh, on the non-familiar side, you know, talk to a colleague, or excuse me, not a colleague in this scenario, a spouse, a family member, a friend, someone who's distanced from what you're going to be talking about, uh, and invite them to ask you questions along the way. This can be useful for figuring out if you're using inaccessible language, uh, what level of context about the scenario you may have to set, uh, and also just that process of them asking you questions and you answering forces you to articulate your thought process in ways that help us maybe land on different words or way of explaining that then we can roll back into how we're communicating. On the expert side, if you solicit feedback from an expert, they can focus more on or less on the content and more on your delivery. Uh, they might be able to help you anticipate questions so that you feel prepared to answer those or let you know if you go off track or say anything that might be overreaching, which can be something that's good to know in advance. And now when it comes to soliciting feedback, also be clear on what sort of feedback you want from someone and what sort of feedback is going to be most useful for you from that given person, right? Do you want to them to focus on the content and make sure the words that you're using make sense and that the scenario is clear? Or do you want them focusing on you and how you're moving your body and the texture of your voice and some of these other things that we've talked about? Let the person giving you input know that upfront so that they know what to watch for when you're uh, going through your content and so that they feel comfortable bringing up those things. All right, so we've talked about some good stuff so far. And when you think about recording yourself, getting feedback, one thing you can get feedback on is whether you sound like you care about what you're talking about. Because if you don't care what you're talking about, if you've not found the passion, found the interest, no one else is going to want to listen to you, guaranteed. And it's funny because I was chatting with Alex on the team the other day and she said, so we're talking about this topic and she said something like, yeah, but everything that we talk about is really interesting. I said, well, we find the interesting things in it, but not everything is naturally interesting, right? Let's take that summer learning program on science. We noticed that kids weren't excited about science. So we did this pilot summer learning program to see if we could get them more excited. Nobody is going to want to listen to that, right? Which is crazy, but it means that when we are able to talk in a way that makes us sound interested in what we're talking about, we can get people's attention and get them interested by virtue of that. 
One thing to be aware of when it comes to this is that voice follows body. So notice when I'm hunched over and I'm looking down, my voice sounds different. Whereas shoulders back, I come up, I use my hands. I sound different as a result of how I'm positioning my body. So consider that when it comes to how you're presenting. I'm a big advocate, if there's any way you can, stand up. And particularly if this is going to be out of the norm, sometimes that can get attention and uh, keep people uh, entertained and engaged for longer. And that for me actually personally looking back on my history presenting was probably the biggest positive uh, bit of um, help that I got. And it was back from that train the trainer at Google where there was a case where I was doing a training, I was sitting at one end of a long conference table, slides were at the other end. And she said the whole time she was back and forth looking at me and the slides because I was so animated that she wanted to see it all in one window. And all it took was standing up and walking to the front of the room where the slides are. And now instead of competing for attention with what's there, the things work in coordination with each other. So think about how you might do that. And when it comes to sounding like you care, you certainly need to be authentic to ways that are going to work for you. And one way to figure this out is notice the next time you're talking to a friend about something that you're passionate about, right? Maybe it's sports or politics these days. Notice what you do. Notice what you do with your body. Notice what you do with your hands. Are you leaning in? Are your shoulders back? Are you loud? Are you quiet? And then think about how you can integrate some of that into how you present when you're talking about other topics too. I hope you enjoyed this segment. As I mentioned at the onset, it was taken from the Storytelling with Data community live event by the same name, Presenting Data. You can access the full video where in addition to the content you heard here, you can also see me apply these strategies to present two data-driven stories by becoming a premium member in the community. You can learn more about that at community.storytellingwithdata.com premium. In addition to live events and videos, premium membership also gains you access to data storyteller office hours where you can chat with members of the Storytelling with Data team, ask your questions, brainstorm ideas, or get feedback. If you are part of a team who would benefit from content like what I've talked about today, we also offer a new webinar on presenting data. Learn more about that and check out many more great resources at storytellingwithdata.com. With that, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>